there, teachers, and welcome to Lit Pro, the podcast for high school English teachers in Northside ISD right here in San Antonio, Texas. I'm your host, Barbara Bloomingdale, Academic Technology IST for High School ELA. In each episode, we are going to delve into the concepts and skills your students will explore in your courses. We will share lesson ideas and best practices for each unit, and we will talk with teachers from Northside campuses about what works best in their classrooms. Welcome back to Lit Pro Teachers. I'm Barbara Bloomingdale. I'm Tracy Winstead. And I'm Tony Pettis. In our last episode, we explored English for College Prep and delved into the purpose and target audience for the course. This time, we're going to take you into a unit and talk about how that unit can serve both masters, the English for Teaks that require studying literary works by British authors and playwrights across the major literary periods. Oh my gosh, that's a mouthful. And the expectation that we prepare our graduating seniors for reading and writing tasks in their prospective college majors. Tracy, making that shift can be a really big challenge for those of us who have been teaching English for for a long time or have really just traditionally focused on the literature. So what advice do you have for teachers who are struggling with the transition? I think the main thing to think about is what is the purpose of this course? And honestly, not just this course, but I think it's a good question to ask ourselves about um, all the high school literature we teach, because um, at the end of the day, we have spent in the past a lot of time delving into the real particulars about every single aspect of literature. Um, We spend a ton of time um, often on these sort of arcane time periods, um, and it It does our English teacher hearts good, but sometimes I worry Mm -hmm. that we're really not preparing our our students for the real world and the ways that literature actually enhances people's lives um, once they're through with school. Absolutely. Yeah, and we all know that um, it's great to read literature for enjoyment. It's great to read to learn more about yourself and others. It creates more empathetic people. But for the purposes of this course, um, you want to ask yourself, how is the literature informing the thinking of our students, um, based on the experience of our students, what new insights can they glean by being individuals? And then how can they use the moves that the writers made in terms of using language and the ideas and, and maybe even the structures to, to speak about these ideas going forward? And I think thinking about our last podcast where we were talking about the fact that we are merging this um, Brit Lit survey course with a writing course that's designed to really prepare kids for college and career, um, we really do need to ask ourselves, uh, how are we going to handle the literature? And, and we, don't, we're, we want to make sure that we are exposing our students to these wonderful works, but that we're just not dragging on with them and, and not focusing on the skills that they really do need. Not getting to the essentials for the course or for the Exactly, unit. exactly. <clears throat> I mean, I think it comes back to also to that question that you were asking Tony and I earlier today. What does it mean to be an informed reader of literature in today's day day and age? I mean, what is that that idea of being literate and how does that really play into people's lives? Right. Because when I think about my friends who aren't teachers or especially English teachers, the ones who really enjoy reading, the ones who I might be in book club with, the ones who are highly educated, more highly educated than I am, um, they know things about literature and they have an understanding. 
but they're not thinking about, uh, they may think about a sonnet, but they're not thinking about the 14 lines and the octave and sestet. The and they're not doing those things, mm-hmm. and nor should they. And so sometimes I feel like we do get a little bogged down um, in some of that real technical stuff when really to be a well-read, well-informed person, um, it's really just being exposed to the ideas. And like you said, Tony, the language, uh, how ideas have changed. I think those are the concepts that stay with people. Mm -hmm. And so those Mm -hmm. are the concepts we really want to stress in this course. And I would, again, suggest in all of our courses. And, And I think if kids aren't seeing the relevance of what they're reading and making connections to the big ideas of the time period in their own lives, and they're less likely to retain that information or to pick something up again in the future. Well, we're in the information age, which means that we are inundated with too much information. Mm -hmm. And so the fact is anyone can pick up their cell phone and um, Google the rules of uh, a Sestina. But the actual concepts that are learned and the the way ideas transfer, that's something else. And I think that's what it really means to be educated. That is so true, Tracy. I think that a lot of the professional reading that we have been doing lately focuses on this idea of giving kids more windows into reading and making kids uh, more skilled readers and more engaged readers by helping them to make these kinds of connections. And it seems like a shift that's happening across our discipline. Well, as you guys know, we're dealing with it right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have new standards. We're uh, looking at new instructional materials and all of those point in this direction, as opposed to going back to a more, sort of prescriptive way of looking at the literature. Yeah, when I think about how we learn outside of the realm of academia, it's by not being prescriptive. You know, I quit playing piano because I was forced to play scales for hours. And when I actually learned an instrument, learned guitar later, it's because I was working with my dad and we were just saying, what music do you want to make? What does that look like? And I learned the scales naturally that way rather than going about it the an authentic way of you had a real purpose kill. we had a for purpose. what you were doing and you know exactly. looking at the new teaks there's a lot of language around the reader's purpose mm-hmm. uh, and they don't mean set by the teacher mm-hmm. right you know okay. authentic student reader purpose for sure so when we think about all of these different issues what does that mean for the teacher who's sort of you know in the in the trenches in the classroom with kids when we look at some of the units in that senior curriculum, how would how would they do that? That's a good question. And we had a lot of discussions in the office of what that would look like. And we actually did a PD on that uh, just a few weeks ago where we went through the uh, literature very quickly, really focused on the big ideas of the time period, and then quickly pivoted to the writing tasks and, and the kind of writing that students are going to have to do in college. So I thought this might be a good time to take you through the thinking that goes into planning um, a unit like that. Uh, focusing on what Tony just said, which is the the ideas, the language, and then the quick pivot. So what we did for our PD, um, and I was the one that created this particular model lesson, was we were going to be looking at um, the Renaissance, specifically uh, the sonnets of the Renaissance, which are probably, other than maybe Shakespeare, the most um, famous pieces of literature that came out of that time period. And so we wanted a quick sort of overview and study of sonnets that we could somehow relate to kids' lives. The Elizabethan sonnets were often about romantic love. I thought, well, you know, kids love that, as do adults. And so my warm-up that I came up with was to have, um, have students write about 
uh, had their choice of two prompts. One was, what's the most romantic song on your playlist and why do you like it? And then the other was, if someone wanted to capture your heart in a text, what would it say or be about? So I think our listeners want to know, uh, <laughs> of Barbara, uh, which of those would you want to share your answer? Oh, my God. About? Okay, no pressure. No pressure. Uh, okay, so I felt really lame when I was thinking about this because I, I had a hard time thinking of a romantic song. But I thought about two. So one of them is called Annie's Song by John Denver. Oh, and yeah. it's about, right, that really it's beautiful old. sort yeah. of all-encompassing passionate love. But I also thought about um, Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran, mm. where it's, oh. right? Yeah. I, I'll Love You When We're 70. Yes. Yeah. So I thought that was also really romantic and beautiful in its own way. So you had both the idealized version and maybe the little more realistic version. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think I tend to. still a little idealized. But yeah. <laughs> tend to be what? More realistic or? No, I oh, tend really? to really like the more idealized oh, sort so of funny. like sweep you off your feet songs. Oh, and a, a true romantic. There you go. Jim Bloomingdale. All right, Tony. <laughs> so to kind of piggyback off of that for the text, um, my wife and I always call each other in text, especially when we're getting too wrapped up in kids and talking about baby poops, um, <laughs> we call each other our forever date. Aww. It's this idea that, you know, the mindset is always trying to make each other happy and, and be in the moment and trying to impress each other rather than get ca caught up in the minutia of being a parent or even sometimes being a husband or a wife. Yeah. So, you know, we make time even if we can't go anywhere to sit around the table, and have a conversation and, and treat it like a date. Reconnect. Yeah, That's reconnect. so interesting exactly. because talking about language, just the idea of you're my date rather than you're my husband, because date yeah. just seems like it's something you're really choosing to do. Right. And that's, uh, you're not, that's, uh, that's the idea. Yeah, that's yes, great. I love that. Very nice. So. Okay. So we've all learned a little more about Barbara and Tony <laughs> yeah. and you will with your students too. And I think that this is one of those questions that even if you're uh, not a romantic like me, uh, you still have plenty of energy around, um, around the subject. So uh, it, it does engender a lot of great conversation, but remembering that it is uh, supposed to be um, a segue into what we're going to be talking about, which is um, the Elizabethan love sonnet, basically. So the learning target for is that we will explore Elizabethan poetry in order to understand the conventions of romantic love in Renaissance literature. And then I will explain how the ideas and conventions of Elizabethan poetry influence present day ideas about love. So we're going to talk about the conventions, but briefly. And then we're going to really focus in on how do those conventions and the ideas affect us present day? Because the idea of survey literature course when you're looking at through this lens is really more about how has, how have all of these different time periods and these different works brought us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the actual learning target. And so the next activity was something I really love to do, which is basically pick a few things that I want the kids to be able to research uh, instead of front loading a bunch of stuff. And so I try to make it a little obscure Mm -hmm. because I want to get people interested and excited. So I had three things for them to look up. Um, one is humanism. The other is the sonnet. And the other was Astrophil and Stella, mm. which is actually a sonnet sequence uh, that no one's ever heard of, but people are kind of interested to look it up. So um, we gave them uh, seven minutes to, to research everything they could, and then they would share with their table partners. 
the whole point of doing something like this is to get the kids really interested in their own um, inquiry and research and to um, give them the opportunity to uh, do some of that themselves before you just, you know, give them a bunch of notes or put up some slides uh, right, with, the, with the information. And we've had a lot of real good luck with that. Um, and so then after that, we have discussion, the kids uh, teach each other, and then we move on to um, the information I want to make sure that they receive, which isn't a whole lot. I mean, I just talked uh, in the slide that I'm looking at that I created for this, was I did talk about humanism, idealized love, the fact that it was going back to the classics and the sonnet, and then a little bit about the sonnet, about the subject of the sonnet, something about the structure of the sonnet, uh, the fact that they idealize um you know, nature, um, and then the sonnet sequences. The The whole point is that much of that would have already been talked about by students. Okay. You know, one right. rule of thumb is because in our, in their discussion about their little pieces of research, they would have naturally talked about some of these subjects. Okay. So when I go through and hit them, uh, we don't have to belabor it because right. they have already uh, said the thing. And so one of the, the tenets I like to to really go by is um, try not to say anything you can get the students to say first. Yeah. And by giving them their little research time on their phones or on their Chromebooks or whatever right. you, have, you have, you're able to, to do that. Right. They've already got a little taste of They've got a little taste. And honestly, okay. this is really, in my mind, before we look at the literature, this is all they need to know. And you could do that setting up a novel too, right? Or anything oh, that you absolutely. would want to give some context around. Right. Yes. You could do this instead and let that take care of it. Sure. I think we should take advantage of the fact that this is the information age and anybody can right. look up anything at any time. And then they, the other thing is that they also sort of curate the information following their own interests mm -hmm. a little bit. And mm -hmm. then you can buy in that way. Okay. So it's really a great technique. Now, you always need to have the backup where you're kind of making sure that you've yeah. talked about the things that you Filling in the gaps. No, right. but that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're not starting from scratch. You're just filling in gaps and it just goes much quicker. So it's a very fast way to do, to do some things that frankly I've seen take two class periods. Okay. Um, so that's that. And then the next thing we did was I just picked a sonnet, a very um, romantic sonnet, sonnet by Edmund Spencer. It's the one about how he writes his, his beloved's name on the sand and then sand washes it away and, she tells him he's crazy and he says, no, but our love will be immortal because I've written your name mm -hmm. uh, in my verse. Um, very idealized, very typical of the Elizabethan love sonnet. And we just talk about that as they read. What do you notice? What is it that we, we see in that as we talk through it? As a matter of fact, I think with this one, I did the, the strategy where you read something three times. The, the teacher will read a poem out loud and then one time. And then the second time they'll ask the students to just whatever words uh, or lines that strike them for whatever reason, it could be because they understand it and love it and think it's a great turn of phrase. It could be because they don't understand it at all. So whatever, it doesn't matter why you highlight what you highlight, but you highlight three places in the three lines in the poem. And then when it comes on our third read, that's during the second oral reading from the teacher on the third read, it's a choral reading and kids um, yes. chime in when, they get when it's a line. line that they underline. Yeah. And to me, that's one of those great, very low stakes, but it does pique kids' interest, and we can kind of talk about why one line might only have two people that chime mm -hmm. in and one mm -hmm. line might have half the class chime in. 
but it also is a way to get a poem read out loud three times. The great thing about sonnets is they're short, mm-hmm. so they totally lend themselves well to this kind of activity. So we did that, and then we just moved on to uh, um, where now students are working on their own. And so I gave them choice. I picked four different sonnets that were um, fairly typical, but different. You know, all each had their own little um, uh, take on the sonnet. And they, uh, the students were able to pick which one they wanted to read. And they only answered the uh, beers and preps engagement questions, which are what surprised you? And then what in the sonnet reinforced what you've learned? And then what in the sonnet is different from your expectation? And after reading those, that sonnet, which of course didn't take very long, and they answered the questions, then they talked about it amongst themselves. Okay. So they're getting exposed to three, you know, four more sonnets this way. Um, and then finally, I went back to the warm up and said, when you think about what you wrote this morning, how does it compare to the Elizabethan view of love mm-hmm. and ask them to um, write about that. Right. So, again, just sort of take and this was, you know, this was done in 45 minutes. It was very easy to do in 45 minutes. And for me, those students really did understand all they really needed to know about the sonnet. Okay. There's no reason for anybody to have to write a 14 line sonnet of their own in mm-hmm. iambic pentameter or anything like that. Um, I don't even know that I mentioned iambic pentameter. Um, it's those kind of details um, that I think we can set aside as we really think more um, conceptually and sort of big picture about the literature. Yeah. And I, I kind of did the same thing with a similar PD a few weeks later for the, uh, the romantic unit. And it was sort of the same thinking, right? Get a quickly uh, a warm up where kids are engaged quickly you know, where do you go when you need to clear your mind? And a lot of people said, I need to go outside and walk, or I need to be by myself and just be free to think. And some people said they had problems with that because of all the technology surrounding them or because they live in the city and it's really hard to get out there. I said, all right, we're already talking about romantic ideas. Did the research piece again, quick research. Um, And we went through some big tenets and he mentioned the importance of nature and how the sublime and, and all those aspects and then we saw a poem and we saw all those things come pretty clearly with I Wondered Lonely as a Cloud. Um, and then I showed him how to sort of take that into uh, maybe a, a more modern warm up where we looked at a, a clip from Stranger Things. And it, it also kind of complicated it because this is not a romantic text, mm-hmm. but it does have some romantic ideas involved. And so that's something I like to do. Let's start with something that's pretty standard for the era. And then let's push that thinking a little bit and really stretch it. Um, and they made some great connections uh, to the to the clip about what what makes it romantic and, and how it's pushing those ideas to what it looks like in 2019 or, or present day. That scene um, in Stranger Things is so interesting. I'm going to admit right now that I have never seen the show. I know mm-hmm. don't gasp. It's so embarrassing. But I've never seen the show. And so was, I was what scene are you guys talking about. So in the scene, there's a group of kids, average kids, and one of them is getting bullied pretty badly, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. It's a beautiful scene of nature, and one of the friends has some supernatural powers and saves the day. That's the gist of it. Right, but there's this beautiful moment where the the, uh, the kid who's being threatened is sort of held at nice point, and his friend is told to jump off the edge of this ravine, or, or they're going to really hurt him. And so he steps to the edge, and there's this beautiful, breathtaking moment where you see you know, it's so awe-inspiring, the landscape and this incredible, incredible drop that he's about to undertake. And 
when they show you the bottom of the canyon, it's clear that that he's not going to make it if he makes the jump. But then he just so incredibly fearlessly, just bravely makes this incredible leap. I was stunned. I didn't, I mean, I thought at least he was going to take a running jump. <laughs> I kept thinking he's going to hit the rocks. This is it. How is this a thing? And then he stops in midair and it turns out the friend with the supernatural powers is there. But I thought there's all, all these great connections to the sublime and the power of nature and, and I could emotion of a reason those. and a lot of the other big ideas that are. Yes. You could see those connections right away in the scene. It's so important to bring it back to the current time. And so when I was thinking about the one I did for the um, Elizabethan period, uh, the next day was going to be looking at one of my favorite Shakespearean sonnets, because I'm not as romantic as some, uh, which is my mistress eyes are nothing like the sun. And it was interesting because I was thinking about um, different reactions that I've had with students and kids through the years about that. And I was just, I started thinking about, you know, um, certain uh, more contemporary pieces that kind of say the same thing is my, my, my beloved is not a Greek God is not gorgeous, is not beautiful. And so I was thinking about, um, some, some songs I know, uh, I have a recording of Lyle Lovett singing my funny Valentine, which I really like. Oh, but really? when I started listening to the lines, uh, <laughs> it was definitely, um, it, it, it was almost, I don't know if it's me too or what, or I've got these granddaughters, but I'm just thinking, is he putting her down? It's a little uh, condescending. It's a little condescending. Yeah. And it's also, um, yes, because it's sort of not only is about the, the ideal, but almost like, is she that smart? Mm-hmm. You know, she may not be that pretty, but she's also not that smart. And then it got to me be thinking about Billy Joel and just the way you are, mm-hmm. which he wrote that said, you know, don't try to be clever. You don't have to do that for me. Yeah. And so and then I started thinking, are all these songs and things that I thought might be romantic in the past as romantic as I think they are? And then I thought of All of Me, which I think is a uh, John Legend. John right? Legend, yeah. And even that, it seems so romantic, but he kind of talks about her being really crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, that led me down a rabbit hole because um, I was thinking about this idea of do we find people who are insult us attractive. <laughs> and so I found this great article in um, psychology today that uh, is can an insult make you fall in love. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole thing and they call it negging someone if you go negative on somebody. Mm-hmm. And so this whole thing is that they've done studies where if um, a man is trying to pick up a girl, if he says something that kind of throws her off or makes her feel a little insecure, she will find him more attractive. Yeah. So yeah. in my mind, this led me to some really interesting contemporary ideas about gender roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, beyond just this idea of idealized love, but suddenly we're talking about things that are very specific to certain things that are happening today. And I just thought to myself in a, a class like this one, you could really pivot. Mm-hmm. And now that you're doing some writing, you could really write about some very current things happening um, in a way that would be enriched by the fact that you just studied some Elizabethan love poems about the ideal and romance and what it is to be beautiful and loved. Same with you, Tony. You know, you've gone from Wordsworth mm-hmm. to Stranger Things and thinking about our relationship with nature now and climate change. I mean, it nothing, you know, uh, 
nothing old is new again or everything old is new again. I mean, the, 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 the things that worried people back in the day are continuing to worry us today. Exactly. Yes. And I think that that is the way that we can make this stuff come alive for kids. Okay. That, I think that's so interesting. So in, you know, we've shifted away from looking at the sort of minute details of the poem, like the technical issues, but we're still engaging with the themes of the text in a way that I think is even deeper than what I was doing in the past when I was just looking at the literature. When we're still talking about Shakespeare's ideas, we're still thinking about these universal themes. And then we're also talking about what the modern take is on those universal themes, assuming there is one. Sometimes that's the universality of it, right? Is mm -hmm. that, you know, 400 years later, we're all still wrestling with this idea of love and how we view our partners. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that um, this just makes it, I don't know, more exciting and engaging for everybody. Um, yeah. Instead of spending hours under the hood, we're using it as a vehicle to get somewhere. So I guess the only question that I have left is, does this approach satisfy the essential takes for this unit that cover or that mention the British literature and the different time periods and the major works? So do you mean, have we spent enough time on it? If yes. we If we take one or two class periods to do it, and I can tell you, yes, absolutely yes. Especially since when you look at the new standards, Really, there's just one that talks about the British literature. It's E4.7a, and it says, read and analyze British literature across literary periods. Well, we would have done that in those couple of days. We could talk about the fact that we have studied the poetry of the Renaissance and then move on. Now, that doesn't mean we can't revisit it as we go through, but there's no reason to belabor these long, long units on every single um you know, time period in, in British literature. And honestly, there's no longer going to be a reason to do that even in a normal English four class. Uh, but for this class, especially, the time would be to pivot to something else. Okay. And then, Tony, when we think about pivoting to something else, is this a good place for us to bring in some of the writing and the, some of the writing skills that we need to cover with our kids? Great question. So when we think about uh, the Renaissance unit and we think about the idealized love in the sonnet, we saw that the conversation quickly turned to gender norms and gender inequality and how that's playing in the field of romance, right? And so we thought a great prompt could be, how do gender norms contribute to gender inequality? Really kind of 2019 conversation, um, and that can easily be an expository piece. You could do it timed, um, and you don't have to do it for a whole class period. You can do it very quickly, so kids are just getting that element of a timed response and those constraints. And then I would definitely do some conferencing and some revision around that piece based on what they what they did with it because we're still trying to set kids up for those high stake writing tasks in the spring. And this is an excellent time to practice those in a way that's more low stakes and is completely tied to the literature. It's just a really organic process. Yes, and that's another mind, uh, mindset shift because I think in our traditional literature courses, we just write so much in response to the literature itself. And what we're saying is just take one step outside, one or two steps outside the literature and let the students write about um, those concepts, whether it is expository writing, uh, persuasive writing, compare and contrast, whatever it is, they're doing it a couple of steps removed from the literature, but writing about the ideas. So they can certainly cite literature in their support, but they're not doing literary analysis day in and day out like can typically happen in these literature survey courses. It sounds like this all comes down to 
shifting our thinking as teachers and thinking about the different ways that kids can engage with the text. Yeah, it's all about purpose. You know, when I used to tell people why I got into teaching, especially English, it's because I love these stories and I wanted to talk about them with kids. Um, but I realize now, and a couple of years ago, that that's the wrong end game. I We can do that, and that's still part of the process. But in the end, the more important goal is to set kids up to be better critical thinkers and critical writers as they explore their future paths, whatever they may be. And if we're honest, they're probably not going to be English literature majors like we were. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lit Pro. Teachers, if you work in Northside, remember you have access to the year at a glance document for your course, the digital resources, including this podcast and the different text sets that we mentioned. And if you take a look at the show notes, you can also find links to Tracy's lesson and Tony's lesson that you can use with your students. Welcome back to Lit Pro Teachers. I'm Barbara Bloomingdale. I'm Tracy Winstead. I'm Tony Pettis. Let's start <laughs> over. Let's do that. Let's do that. Again. She should. I she not, should go first. No, 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 no. You should go as a host. It doesn't matter. But you're the specialist. No, before oh, him. For you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why oh, I pointed okay. to you. I was oh, like, okay. All right, all right. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't. It was a very subtle point. So I like. And, and I thought There's she maybe, maybe was going to say something else. Yeah. Like, and now I'm joined by. But you said you weren't going to do that. Right. We're not going to do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, our first blooper. We're so ready. sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're, we didn't get very far. <laughs>